Isaiah chapter 1, I have been just very sensitive to the anointing of God on me this week. I feel like picking an argument with an atheist, but I don't believe atheists exist. So, two-faced artificial religion is the topic of this evening's consideration from Isaiah. And it's, to me, it just glares right off the page that the people that Isaiah is rebuking, or God is rebuking them through Isaiah, <clears throat> it is because of their two-faced religion, their artificial religion. And there is a lot of New Testament application here. Uh, what we find in the Old Testament, we find in the New Testament, in one form or another, and it is no surprise that Isaiah is the most quoted of the Old Testament prophets in the New Testament. Listen to Revelation 3, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Sardis write these things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. That is pretty intense to tell a church, yeah, you, your name says you're alive, but you're dead. This, all the vitals have flatlined with you, spiritually speaking. And looking at that verse in Revelation, you have a name that you're alive, but I say you're dead. Uh, the angels might, might have looked at the church of Sardis, for example, and said, here we go again. It's just like Isaiah chapter 1. They were bringing their sacrifices to church, and uh, they didn't mean it. It was all about them. None of it was about God. And when you consider these things, hopefully, we consider ourselves a little bit. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 1 Corinthians 11. Now, Paul, of course, had to say that because there were those in that church that were a disaster, uh, abusing the communion table. Well, that's uh, an overview from the New Testament of this Old Testament passage. Beginning in verse 10 of Isaiah 1, <clears throat> Hear the word of Yahweh, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Imagine addressing a congregation like that. Imagine on a Sunday morning a pastor coming out, and, and instead of saying good morning and welcome to the house of the Lord, he says, hello everybody from Sodom and Gomorrah. This is, uh, you know, where's the disconnect? You would think, you would think the people would hear the prophets say these things and, and fixed up their act. But they didn't believe it was God's voice. It's just Isaiah. It's just a Bible thumper, a zealot for God. But it's not God speaking to us. Well, that's what they do today. You tell somebody, hey, listen, God, God is not for abortion. Women's rights do not trump the right of another life. And we say life begins at conception. Well, they don't believe that because they don't believe God's word. And this is what we're up against when we share the gospel with people is to, to say, thus says the Lord. That's what the devil has invested himself, his energies, his resources uh, into convincing people that is not, it's not God speaking. Has indeed God said, Eve? Did God really say that? I don't think you, even if he did say that, I don't know that you're getting it right, Eve. And uh, this is what uh, is going on here, because you can't just read this and say, well, what a bunch of numbskulls, that they were so bad, they were so fake. 
Couldn't they hear what the prophet was saying? No, because they didn't believe it was, it was God. Some did. Uh, many did not. Anyway, the primary responsibility of the prophet, as where it says, hear the word of the Lord here in verse 10, the primary responsibility of the prophet is to communicate God's word to man, is to say, this is what God is saying. In contrast to the priest, the priest were responsible for communicating with God on behalf of the people through their ritual and their sacrifices. We New Testament believers are a royal priesthood, but we're also prophets in the sense that we have Scripture. And I don't mean prediction, predictive prophecy, just to, to quote Scripture properly, dividing the word of truth, I mean proper application of the lessons from Scripture. Anybody can quote Scripture. Satan did it to the Lord in the wilderness, but is the application in line with the Spirit and the holiness of God and the rest of Scripture, of course. Sodom, as he says, hear the word of Yahweh, you rulers of Sodom, and this is to their politicians, use as a symbol of sin paraded, unbridled, Sodom was proud of her sin. It was a flourishing economy, incidentally. I'll quote Ezekiel in just a few moments. But uh, uh, Sodom is the parade of a sin-filled lifestyle. We see it uh, in, in these you know, homosexual parades. There's nothing gay about it. And this is uh, just uh, unbridled sin. And they think that they're going to get away with it. And they hate us for saying, hey, look, you're drowning in iniquity. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect. But I'm not that imperfect. I understand who the Lord is. And that's what matters. And Sodom, of course, becomes the poster child for depravity and judgment. But they don't believe it. Um, they, they don't believe it. Isaiah will, will use this a few more times throughout his prophecy. Ezekiel 16, speaking about Sodom and Gomorrah, he says, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And pretty selfish, self-centered, that pride. Pride took an, an archangel and made a uh, devil out of him. But God's mercy over, over all of it, in verse 9, speaks about the mercy of God, and take the time to go back, but it's certainly linked to what we're reading about here in verse 10 going forward. God's mercy. If it weren't for that, then Israel would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah, completely uh, destroyed in judgment. Now, here Isaiah says they are more than like Sodom and Gomorrah, rulers of the people. They are Sodom and Gomorrah. Pretty powerful. Hear the word of Yahweh, you rulers of Sodom. Calls them straight out. It's, it's, it's a metaphoric application that is appropriate. And he goes on and he says, Give ear to the law of God, you people of Gomorrah. To be addressed to Sodom and Gomorrah was charge and sentence at the same time. You're guilty, and the judgment that they got for their guilt, you're going to get for yours. And that happened, of course. You are like them, and you will be dealt with like them. Of course, again, they didn't believe it. Verse, verse 11, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me? Says Yahweh, 
I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or goats. A question for people with a two-faced artificial religion, with their useless worship. What purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices? What's the purpose of your religion? If it is fake, if it is phony. And there was a lot of religion going on while the economy in Judah, at, this time, at the time Isaiah is speaking, because it went up and down in his ministry. He ministered minister almost 60 years. But at this point, the economy was doing well when he makes this statement. And the people were bringing their fatted calves and showing off what they were going to de- devote uh, to Yahweh. But what's the point of religion when the God of that religion is disrespected? Well, this is easy for us. We Christians, we, we get it. We don't, you don't really need and a lesson, but it might help to stir you to look at things in a way that, you know what, I can use that one. Because they reduced God to a mascot. We all know people like this. We pray that God will give us a chance to point out that God is not your mascot. He's not something to parade in front of you. Ooh, look at my religion while you go on about your business as though... He is not alive. He is not real. He does not hold you accountable. And religion is ineffective if it is insincere, if it is insubordinate. God wants both the outward and the inward, the outward and inward obedience. And so Samuel said to Saul, who was a Saul was a master at fake religion, as Yahweh as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of Yahweh. Behold, it is better to obey. And to heed than the fat of rams. Micah chapter 6, who ministered about the time, part of the time that Isaiah was ministering. You read these old prophets. If you read them straight through, you can get pretty depressed if you're not careful. Because can the people be that bad? Well, he says in chapter 6, a favorite chapter of Micah. Mike, at one point, he says, you know, you would even make drunks your, your prophets. You people are so messed up. Anyway, he says, with what shall I come before, the, before Yahweh and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will Yahweh be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions? Well... Pagans were doing some of that. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Someone else is going to die for my sins, which is a twisted understanding of salvation. And then Micah says this. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He just just reduces. He takes the Ten Commandments and he just reduces it down and just says... Who are you faking? Who are you kidding? You know what God wants, and it's not too much to ask of you. But you're not giving any of that, no. You want to do the sensational things that cost somebody else something, so you can look good in your fake religion. And so, back to Isaiah, he says in verse 11, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says Yahweh? Well, again... Um, 
at times the Jewish people permitted their sacrifices to be empty ritual, but it is also true that there were those that were genuine in their offerings, and we just want to keep that balance before us. I mean, Isaiah lived at this time. He, his offerings, yeah, he too made offerings. Um, they were genuine, and um, a blessing to God and a blessing from God for it. God continues to speak through the man. He says, I have had enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. Well, the fattened animals were especially fattened for sacrifice, and they were a more expensive offering. So if you purchased a fatted calf, you paid more than one that was just kind of free-roaming. And you were showing off. Look at my sacrifice. Look at your little puny little thing over there. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or goats. God is saying, you're missing the point of the sacrifice. And the fat and the blood, these were essential parts of the Levitical offerings. You couldn't have the Levitical offerings without it. Leviticus 17, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement of the soul. It's a sacrifice. Something else died because of you. Oh, back to Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned and God had to slaughter animals to cover their nudity for their conscience sake. Things would have went further awry had God not addressed it. And so God's insistence that he does not want burnt offerings would be surprising to them. What do you mean? We're, we're raised Jews. We, it's what we do. It's part of our religion. You go tell some people, God's not interested in your little candles. Oh, like, oh, God is so much better off today because you lit a candle for him or for somebody else. No, that's, you're missing the point. They're very serious about those candles and other things like that. Instead of a sweet aroma, it was an unpleasant experience for God because it was a lie. What does that smell? The same animal being sacrificed by a righteous person and one being sacrificed by a two-faced hypocrite, the same animal. And to one, God would say, a sweet-smelling aroma, and to the other, it is odious to me. It is an offense to me. And before, an interesting thing, before Isaiah finishes with all of his prophecies, when we get to chapter 53 about the righteous servant, the Christ, listen to what he says about an acceptable offering. Yet it pleased Yahweh to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. God will be pleased with the sacrifice of the cross and the fruit that comes from it. The souls, salvation of souls, the disciples that come. That's the seed that he's referring to in Isaiah 53. And so it's just interesting here, God is saying, I do not like those sacrifices, those sacrifices, because they're false. But this is the model sacrifice. It's almost like Isaiah never loses touch with all that's going on, because he doesn't. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him, also as a prophet of God. Verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? <laughs> 
<clears throat> satire runs through the rebukes. This is God, you know. When you come before me, when you come to church, who is required from your hand <clears throat> to trample my courts? So, pretending, <clears throat> pretending on the outside that you care on the inside when you don't, and God sees it, and making them two-faced. But where he says, you trample my courts, he is saying, the noise of your feet is the only thing you're offering up. I, I hear you're trampling my, my courtyards. That's all I'm getting. A crowd of people with empty hearts. And all their suffering was the result of artificial religion. All of it. Uh, you know, there's the curse, of course. But God balanced that out in his promises, which they routinely did not avail themselves of as a nation. Verse 13 Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. <clears throat> the new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meetings. Bring no more futile sacrifices. What's the operative word there? Futile. Vain. In vain they worship me. Meaningless offerings. Gifts of nothing. They knew the story of Cain, that God rejected his religious offerings. They knew this story from childhood. Cain's evil was the rejection of God's view. He didn't side, he didn't agree with God, and he didn't care. He's going to jam down God's throat his type of religion. Yeah, I know he wants a blood sacrifice. I'm bringing him this. And he couldn't handle it when God said, get that away from me. I'm not, no, I reject that. It was not a single act of sin, but a single act of the heart that made Cain who he was. And God reached out to him. You do right. If you do right, it's going to go right. But if not, sin is at the door, and it's crouched, waiting for you. And so we read in 1 John, Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Now there's John writing. He is a Jew. He's raised in the Jewish world. He knew the story of Cain. <clears throat> so did these people in the days of Isaiah. And John gets it right. And he does not give any quarter to the memory of Cain. There's nothing about Cain that is redeeming. There are a few people like that in the Bible. There's just nothing about them that's good. Not on record. And there's some people like that in life. Most of those people in life, they blow a lot of smoke screens around themselves and a lot of people can't see through it. Oh, he's such a nice guy. Why don't you like him? You like that guy? <laughs> I just got two enemies in one day. Uh, I mean, not really. But, you, you know, you're disappointed when, you, when someone is, when an aunt brings an aardvark home. Hi, Mom. What could be wrong with him? As he wipes out the nest, right? Incense is an abomination to me. Me too, Lord. Um, moving along. No. <laughs> if, if some of you went around in the 60s and 70s when incense was the big thing. You walk into everybody's house, there was incense going on. Any, was that Captain Crunch? No. Any, there's no. I don't think there's a Captain Crunch cereal incense. There should be. Anyway. The smell of their religion was foul to God. And that's what he's saying. The smell of your religion is an abomination to me. 
is not a sweet-smelling aroma as it was with Noah, after all Noah went through. <clears throat> Steps off the ark and worships God. Genesis 8:20. Then Noah built an altar to Yahweh and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And Yahweh smelled a soothing aroma. He says, yes, this man's heart is right. It is expressed through the sacrifice of animals, as I've told him to do. This is right. Take another man, offering up the same animals, as I mentioned earlier, and his heart could care less about what God wants. Just playing the game. And to that one, God says, it is an abomination to me. And he goes on, and here in verse 13, the new moons, the Sabbath, and the calling of assemblies. Well, Israel's days, and new moon, the new moon marked their month. Every new moon was the beginning of a month, and they had to offer sacrifices for that beginning of, of the month. Uh, their lunar calendar was uh, set by the natural cycles that God of the seasons and the days that God has put in place. And they were merely checking the box. Well, there are people like that. They go to church to check the box. Some will only go at holiday seasons. Uh, you know, it's happening here too. This artificial interest in God. How unlike this psalmist. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless him. It doesn't say if your life is going smoothly. As Job said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank God there's more to life than this life. Well, the laws of Moses were handed to the people of God and they were to follow those laws because they were interested in God. They wanted to please Him. Same with the Christian. We try to obey Christ because we love Him. Not, well, you know what? He's got a good policy. So I'm going to follow you. That's a better way to do it. Oh, there is a be it is a better way. But our motive is love. We love Him. And their unbridled sin taunted God. It made mockery of his omniscience. It said, that doctrine of God knowing everything, he doesn't know everything because he can't see what we're doing. And that's, they were wrong. And the prophet is trying to tell them that. He says, I cannot endure iniquity and, and the sacred meetings. Strong language to describe temple worship. Meaningless, detestable, unbearable. God said, I just can't stomach you people. Well, it's what he did, you know, the church at Laodicea. I vomit you out of my mouth. How do you get any more intense than that? I mean, that's like maxed out. What did the Lord say about that church? <laughs> he never say that about this church. So Isaiah, uh, again, with this insight that he has, he will end his last chapter speaking about keeping these feasts of the new moons and the Sabbaths the right way. He never is out of touch. And uh, you, you can't, you just can't make that up. Verse 14, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. 
The next time somebody wants to use that lame old line, well, if God is a God of love, whoa, 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 whoa. God is a God of love, but he's also a God of wrath. And it's up to you which one you want to receive. Uh, He's not petty. He sees your sin. He knows you're not going to be perfect. He's made mercy available for those things. But to come to him with this two-faced thing or to completely reject him, make mockery of him, don't expect mercy. Expect judgment. And here, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. This is emphatic, incidentally. In the Hebrew and in the English, it is emphatic. And to this day, God detests baloney religion. I don't know. I, I, you know, you, we have to factor in when we deal with people who are guilty of this, that they either don't know or they don't care. And when, when they don't care, well, then we move on. We knock the dust off our feet. But until that point, trying to understand what you have when you're dealing with another human being, on, especially on spiritual matters, is what is going on here? Does this person get it? My approach used to be, well, I don't know what they're doing, but I know how excited I am about what I'm saying, and that's what I would focus on. And let, let the Lord take it from there. And, and that proved to be, I, I think, successful um, most, many, much of the time. But sarcastically referring to the feast here, look again at verse 14. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. Not my new moons, my appointed feasts, yours. Because that they had, he's disassociating himself from their religion. God does these things. And he says, when he says my soul hates, it's emphatic, the equivalent of saying, I hate with all my heart. This is, there's, and you know, are there degrees of hate? I, I'm not so sure there is. I hate is a pretty strong word. I misuse it often. You know, I'll say like, I hate bananas. Well, yeah, but not with the same thing as I hate evil. I mean, that's, you know, so I'm, I try to fix that. But it's late in life. I don't know if I'm going to catch up. So anyway, they are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. Irritation. God is just sick and tired of it, is what he's telling them. Um, uh, Anyway, they had done their best, the group that he's talking to, to make the shameful things an acceptable part of life. They had done their best to do it, and, and now he's calling them out. Verse 15, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not hear, I will not hear, your hands are full of blood. Just what God did not want. People pretending to be pious, holier than thou. Spread, oh Lord, we love you. When, when they knew they did not mean it, and he knew it. So when Paul says, Second, uh, 1 Timothy, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. He should, you could add, it is in there. You could add, without wrath and doubting, because you're suffering. Because that's, otherwise there'd be no need to encourage people to pray. So when Luke says men ought always pray not to lose heart, is what Jesus was teaching. He's saying there are going to be things that make you want to lose heart. Don't lose it. And I can tell you, if you hang in there, it could be years, the Lord will refresh you. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. But you're going to have some new bruises (laughs) by the time your strength is renewed. And they will become emblems of faith. Uh, 
Do you plan to turn in your armor nice and shiny and polished, unscuffed? I get the feeling my armor is going to be pretty singed, pretty beat up. But it will be my armor nonetheless. Uh, one of my favorite memories about the military, and there's only like two of them, was the beginning of the Rifleman's Creed. This is my rifle. There are many like it, but this one is mine. And that is faith. There are many that have faith, but this one is mine. And that is something God has given. This is your faith. Work out your salvation. You're saved. It doesn't mean you're earning it. It just means now carry it out. I will hide my eyes from you. The opposite of letting his face shine upon them. The Lord bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon This is the opposite. God is putting call blocker on these people. He says, even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. He's unplugged the phone. Remember the days when you had phones on the wall and you, you just unplug it when you didn't want it. You take it off the hook if you want it, but <clears throat> unplugging it was better. Plus, it was fun to hit that little click when you put it back in. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not the only one. There. <clears throat> they were seeking wealth from God while taking it from men, like the prosperity churches. Go ahead, brother, put a seed offering in of $100, and God will bless it a hundredfold. He's lying to you. Isaiah 59, Behold, the hand of the Lord is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot bear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Now, he's not talking to sinners who are struggling to obey, but failing. He's talking to those who are careless. And you read the rest of that, uh, verse 3, he goes on to talk about the bloodshed that uh, these people were guilty of. And he does it here. He says here in verse 15, your hands are full of blood. How does he mean that? I mean, they weren't all going around killing people. But their blood sacrifices were disqualified worship. There's a big bug flying through the sanctuary right there. You see the problem with warm weather? This is why I like winter. All right, anyway. I know most of you are like, oh, we want it warm. God will forgive you of that, I'm sure. <laughs> anyway, back to this. Um, and there's plenty of protein in that bug, wherever he is. So if you land him, no eating, no food in the sanctuary. <laughs> the blood sacrifices. Uh, to God, your hands are full of blood. They're just slaughtered animals. You're just spilling blood. I'm just one way to look at how this charge is coming at them. I'm not receiving this. You, you know, you're going to eat most of the off- many of the offerings. People would <clears throat> consume some of it. Their acts of violence were akin to murder. The bribes, the purchase of properties to the ruin of widows and orphans. The sacred nature of blood is very serious with God in the Old and New Testament. And he, he's not negligent in pointing it out. Going back to Genesis chapter 4 is the prohibition of murder. Then in Genesis 9 is the prohibition of consuming blood. Which, when you get to the New Testament, uh, you would think that the Gentiles coming to the church that were previously eating blood dishes would say, you know, God is, he doesn't like this in the scripture. He's not going to disqualify me from my salvation, but he has spoken about this. I think I'm going to stop eating these bloody things. Anyway, Uh, I mean, all out, just, you know, straight out. 
the vital role of blood in sacrifice, which is man's approach to God. That's pointed out in Hebrews 9, verse 7 and 18, and in 1 John 1, 7. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. So my point is, the prohibition of murder, the prohibition of consuming blood, and the solemn act of blood sacrifice fulfilled in Christ, there's very serious things. So when he talks about blood, God is always serious. And so am I. I mean, you know, if you bump yourself, or, you, know, you look to see real quick how much blood's coming out of me. Uh, so anyway, uh, this is a sacred perspective that they treated with sacrilege. Remember, especially you young men, there's nothing cool about hell. And to act like you're too cool to be righteous and that some things are sacred to you is a trap from hell. It is okay to say to irreverent, sacrilegious people, no, I don't play for that team. I reject that approach. Some things to me are sacred, whether they are to you or not. And they're in the inside and not the outside. Yeah, you could take my Bible and you could throw it into the river, but it's still a sacred document to me. And I'm not going to dive into the river to get it. It doesn't make it any less sacred to me. I don't worship it, but I understand what these things mean in the presence of a holy God. He says in verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes <clears throat> cease to do evil. Threefold. Wash to be cleaned. That's the past. Put away the evil ways. That's the present. Stop doing what you're doing. That's the future. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil from your doings. Cease to do evil. That's the solution. Be done with evil and get busy with good. The New Testament picks that right up. That beautiful 12th chapter of Romans. Don't be afraid of Romans because a lot of Christian teachers make Romans... They scare you with it. It's a doctrinal statement. And you're, like, you're looking for the doctrine. And you can miss all the beauty of it. Uh, just, just listen to the poetic nature of this verse. Romans 12, 9. Love without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. And it's just so simple. It goes back to Micah. You know, He's shown you, oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Love without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. How do, you, how do you improve that? Verse 17, learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Isaiah is saying, these are the charges against you. Here's the solution. Here's the way out. And so he directs them how to go forward. Righteous leadership always involves fair treatment of the weakest members of society. Always. And that's why God points out where he says here, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And in those societies, those folks, they had it thought, today in our society, in this country, it's not as bad. It's actually pretty good. Uh, you can be, you know, left a, a, a sizable amount of money to take care of yourself. In those days, man, oh man, you, you could be in a, a real bad place. <clears throat> Orphans and widows, the underdogs, dogs of society, not just them, all underdogs of society is the point. 
This is voiced, so serious is God, is voiced in the law, example, Deuteronomy 24, 17. It is voiced in the prophets here, verse 17, Jeremiah 7, Zechariah 7. And then the wisdom book of Job, Job 31. God uh, makes, and of course there are other places, so James picks it up. Verse 18, this is one of the most beautiful verses in all the Bible. Come now, let us reason together, says Yahweh. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Come now, let us reason. This is um, sort of a preview of the last 27 chapters of Isaiah, which lays the focus more on grace and forgiveness than judgment, more on the coming kingdom through Messiah than the sins of the people and the nations. That's the difference between the first 39 chapters and the last 27. And I'd be remiss if I didn't point out we have 39 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books. And I think those kind of things are are an act of God also. But notice what he says here in verse 18 when he says, come to reason about what? Your sins. And then he says, Looking at verse 18, they, 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 the sins of the individual soul. These are my sins. There are many like them, but these are mine. And they have to be dealt with by somebody bigger than me, better than me, and that is to Christ. And so God invites man to use his brains to consider. Come now, let us reason. Now, you know, one commentator I was reading, he actually says, there's just this thing in people that they have to attack their, their own people. It's like, well, it doesn't mean what the English translators like to say, come, let us reason. Yes, it does mean that. He, then he goes on to say, it means come, let us argue. Not, not a fussing argument, but an exchange of ideas. Is that not reason? I mean, this is a guy who's supposed to be pretty smart. Why? And he gets, you know, they get, we get, they get, not me, because I don't make these mistakes. I just point them out and others. No, I do, I do. But, Hopefully you don't catch them. <laughs> and hopefully they're minor. But the point is, it means just that. God is saying, come, let's discuss this. Let's reason it. Let's argue it. Let's put it on the table. Let's get to the bottom of your sins. Because they're they're glaring. There's, crimson is a glaring color. You, you notice that right away. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a beautiful color, but... God, in this context, it's the mark of blood, of sin. And God says, I can deal with this with you. He does not want us to have a non-reasoned experience in our faith. And there are churches and Christians that teach just this. You've got to have faith, brother. Don't think. Just feel it. Just do it. That's crazy. That's not walking in the light. That's walking in the dark. Uh, we have a whole book of forcing you to think. It's called the Proverbs. And the, it's God saying, hey, look, don't go thinking you just have all the answers. You need to learn, get wisdom, lay hold of it. It's not enough to amass data. You need to know what to do with it. And that is called wisdom. The proper use of knowledge. So you may know something about somebody. But that doesn't mean you need to go say it to them. You're just not, you're wise. 
I mean, there, there are things, you, some of you are familiar with the, the boxer Mike Tyson. Are there things, would you go up and say just anything to him? Would you walk up to him and, and say, you know what, I've never liked you. I think your face is ugly. You, you might get to say it. I'm just saying, you know, you, we have to think through life all the way through. And there's nothing wrong with that. It is an honor <clears throat> that God does not say to Beatles, come, let's reason. But he says to us, he invites us. So your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. How many people out there, oh, my sins aren't there. I'm not that bad. Yeah, because you're comparing yourself with somebody who may be worse than you. But to God, your righteousness is like filthy rags. Can't wait till we get to that in Isaiah. Anyway, we, um, as depraved as we are, God invites us to choose salvation over condemnation. That choice is given. I don't care what some theologians say. I know what the Bible says. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursings. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Deuteronomy 30, 19. It is reasonable to accept the cleansing offers of God. Otherwise, they would not be issued. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And of course, Peter says, just pour it on, Lord. Just pour it all over. See, he was just able, he wasn't too depraved to, to come to that understanding. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Again, these glaring colors. The psalmist wrote, after his sin, after God gave him mercy, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. The deep-dyed character of sin. And then one more from Peter. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. And he goes on like gold, silver. But with the precious blood. There's that word again. Of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Verse 19. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Verse 20. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. So God, again, puts the choices before man to choose, to receive or reject. Don't blame God. Nobody can blame God. Well, I never had a chance. I never had a shot. God is just. And our understanding of justice is not damning people without a chance on some level. We may never know what that is, but God's got it together. Acts chapter 3, repent therefore, be converted that your sins may be blotted out so the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord because they're not going to come like this from anywhere else. And so now he's finished with the charges. Now comes the lamentation over Zion, verse 21. How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. It's how heartbreaking. The faithful city was overrun with the deplorably unfaithful. It was overtaken. We're watching this happen in this nation. We are watching just, just the basic decencies chipped away. I wouldn't mind going back to, you know, the, the blue laws when stores were closed on Sundays. You had to get your act together Saturday. <laughs> if you were out of it by, by Saturday night, you just had to wait till Monday. And it wasn't so bad. And now I notice how many things, oh, we've got to do this on Sunday. Oh, they, oh that class is on, that event is on. So people just trample it. Just because they're not going to church, 
they're insensitive to other people who might want to go to church. I say we go give them a beatdown. We get ourselves some leather jackets and, and just some combat boots. and We Christians aren't taking it anymore. <laughs> I'd love to see the look on their faces, but I would not want to see the look on the Lord's face. Anyway, uh, yeah, human suffering multiplied because of the senseless. The, the theme here, the theme is vanished glory, the glory that's just poof, gone. The degenerate city, made so by degenerate people. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't, a, oh, whatever happened to Jerusalem? And the people who saw nothing ugly about their hypocritical religion, they saw nothing beautiful about God. The psalmist did. All the psalmists saw the beauty of, of the Lord. Even, I think it's Psalm 88, really just ends in tragedy. It's the one psalmist like, I'm just sorry, God. He's still praying. He's still coming to God, but he's at the end of himself. And it's just a reality of life. But it's one of 150 that is like that. So here, God, of course, made Israel to be this beacon of light to the nations. Instead, uh, she must, she's denounced as decadent. When he says harlot, of course, <clears throat> the use of shock to, to, to shake them. You're spiritual phonies. You're unfaithful. The impenitent would deny God's voice was this. They would be saying, the temple of the Lord, God's with us. Isaiah, who do you think you are? As they do to this day. Verse 22, your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water. They ruined everything. It's the idea. Through their wickedness, everything was devalued. Silver can contain alloys and still be silver. But once it becomes dross, which is the polluted element, the, the slag, it's not silver anymore. It's gone. And if he's saying it's, it's your silver, it's your wine. If unchecked sin ravages like leaven, goes through everything. And so God is again distancing himself where he says, in, in verse 23, he will say, your princes. And so he's making this distinction between the wicked and himself. Verse 23, your princes, the politicians, are rebellious. And the companions of thieves, everyone loves bribes, follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. Well, we commented that on the underdogs in verse 17. And it's not limited to widows and orphans. It's anybody who's an outcast and really just, you know, a refugee. God shows favor to those who were strangers. He says, you were strangers in Egypt. Don't forget that. Uh, it's not easy to do that uh, if you're in the flesh. It's, you, you're going to have problems. But the spiritual man looks beyond these things. But the artificial religion and apostasy cranked out corrupt politicians, thievery, violence, murder, like a factory. Paul talks about that. When he talks about you know, the gifts of the, the fruit of the Spirit, and he talks about the flesh, it's like, it's like the, you know... These smokestacks bellowing out this black smoke and just everything goes dark <clears throat> because of the flesh that he itemized, itemizes there in, in Galatians 5. Verse 23, we did that, verse 24. Well, let me pause here on verse 23. <clears throat> Other cities in history have suffered destruction and vanished glory. And poets have lamented over those lost cities. 
We get to Revelation, there will be those lamenting over Babylon. Was this not the great Babylon? The difference is, Israel's prophets were all over. With warnings all over it, with warnings and predictions, and nobody else has the righteousness that they were presenting to the people. You, there is no excuse. There can only be mercy and a remnant who receives that mercy, which will be the case in the end when a, a very small remnant survives the great tribulation period uh, of, Israel, from his, of Israel, remnant of Israel. Verse 24, Therefore, the Lord says, Yahweh of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, Ah, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. You see that little human, that anthropomorphic, Ah, you know, there's, there's just a connection there. I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. Who are they in context? He's speaking of the chosen people who are against God. This last, uh, this title, the Mighty One of Israel, it's a unique and poetic variation of the Mighty One of Jacob, which comes up in other sections in Isaiah and, and the Bible. Verse 25, I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take away all your alloy, the things that are mixed in and the things that are useless. And God is going to clean up this polluted river. Verse 26, I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. So Isaiah Typical says, listen, here's the bad news, but there's good news. And this is it. It's God's ambition to comfort his people. That's why you get to chapter 40. Comfort, yes, comfort my people. The beginning of the last 27 chapters. Uh, that's God's ambition. But uh, the promise to punish comes with the promise to restore. Initially, the judges in Israel, incidentally, they were solid. But after that first generation of judges died, that generation of Joshua and the judges, then everything went out of control, and everyone did what they, their own thing. So, uh, verse 27, Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her penitence with righteousness. Well, the penitence of those who confess their sin and admit that uh, the Lord is God and they want to be right with him. They submit. Verse 28, the destruction of transgressors and of sinners shall be together, and those who forsake Yahweh shall be consumed. What would happen if you could read this to a co-worker that was an unbeliever? If you could read this first chapter of Isaiah? I'm sure there'd be a lot of questions, but there'd be a lot of hits too. There's no way someone could listen to this first chapter of Isaiah and say, I don't get it, unless they were lying. You can't miss the chart, the indictments. You won't get all of it, of course. I'm not saying that. You'll get enough. And there'd be a lot of room for discussion May God send us people to read the Bible too. So, uh, these promises, um, lasting restoration, he's talking about the kingdom age. Converts will enjoy the millennial kingdom. And uh, those forsaking Messiah ultimately will not. So, all the way to the end, there will be the saints and the ain'ts. Verse 29, For they shall be ashamed of the terebinth trees which... You have desired, 
and you shall be embarrassed because of the gardens which you have chosen. Well, they would use various woods for their choice idols. Uh, even to this day, you can go to places and find carved idols, and they, they sell them as, you know, the ancient people used to worship these things. Now we don't carve them out with wood. We just have them in our heads. Uh, same thing. The trees and the gardens, uh, well, the gardens often surrounded the sacred places of this pagan worship, uh, as, as today. You go to cultic places and pagan places, and they're, they're big on gardens. Who doesn't like a garden? Um, verse 30. And I, I just, if anybody killed that bug, let me know, because I get satisfaction out of that at, at, at the end. For you shall... For you shall be as a terebinth tree whose leaf fades and as a garden that has no water. <clears throat> well, the evergreen aptly, aptly symbolized undying life. It's always green year-round. And people picked up on that and baked that into their religion and the fertility gods and all that other stuff with the paganism is essentially the worship of nature. <coughs> <clears throat> and we're seeing that now. You know, recycle your paper and bags. Well, you know, it's just watching some shows on that. And I, these, I think, were responsible of how much of it is, some of it's good, but so much of it is just a religion. These uh, environmentalists that just want to rule the world and paint it green. Uh, but anyway, my point is the, the worship of nature. You know, we've got to save the planet. For what? What are you saving it for? Let's use it. I think when those real stats come out, you're amazed at landfills, how much space there's available for landfills. It's, it's quite staggering. Anyway, uh, this is, these are people of the ancient world worshiping the created things, and the prophet is pointing it out. False religion cannot keep its promises. It can promise you things, but it's going to fail. And so the terebinth tree, whose leaf fades, it's going to die. It's not going to, uh, it's, it's going to dry up and die. Their religion, just like their trees. A false religion has no divine reality to support it. And the biography of Mike McIntosh, a Calvary pastor years ago, out of the hippie movement, just brain racked by drugs, had a vision of these false gods and Maharishnis and things telling him, well, you're dead now and this is as far as we can take you. And it's interesting that that's, that experience that he had uh, does echo the reality of what Isaiah is saying. The false gods can only take you to death. They can't take you any further, not to good. And this is what we try to tell the world. Verse 31, the strong shall be as tender and the work of it as a spark. Both will burn together and no one shall quench them. They're doomed is what he's saying. Um, you know, choose anything but the will and the way of God and the results will be tragic. And that's how he closes this chapter. Well, there's plenty more rebukes coming and sarcasm coming from the prophet, um, so I'm looking forward to it. it just how do, you, how do we get it to the unbeliever? 
Well, you young Christians, you stay strong in the scriptures. Learn as much as you can. That will give the Holy Spirit something to use when he puts you in front of these people who think they know everything about God and they don't. And then that is true not only for you, but for the older saints too. Let's pray. Our Father, this evening, uh, this barrage of rebukes upon the guilty who do not think they are guilty, when they depart from reason, when they depart from righteousness and truth, they create a storm of their own false opinions that come with consequence. May we be useful to you to help those who are stuck in such a world of error. And may you get us all home safely tonight, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.